0: is off. Portland has a timeout. Lillard, a chance to send the Thunder home. Lillard, long range three, and it's
1: good! At the buzzer! Damian Lillard, are
0: you kidding me? Welcome to Views from the Clutch, episode five. It's your boy, Smart Alex, and I'm here with my brother. C. Grant, what's good? Yeah, what's going on with you, bro? How was your week, man? Everything is straight, man. Like
1: you said, man, I waited all week for Friday, so here it is.
0: Yes, man, TGIF.com, log on. Word up. But, um, yeah, man, we got an interesting cast for today, an interesting episode. Um, Everybody be sure to go out and check out our previous episodes. we up to episode four, which will probably be dropping by the time... Y'all hear this, all four already be loaded. Um, That last episode, I think, is is definitely... I I think we're just on a constant growth and development level, and and they're getting better with with Tom. So, again, I just want to quickly say we appreciate all the fans, all the support, all the contributors, all the people who've given us feedback, all the different people who've been sharing the cast. We continue to appreciate and will always appreciate any and all support we get. We appreciate any and all feedback that we get. Welcome y'all to join us, this is a conversation And again, at some point in the future We will be looking to add guests to the show We are already working on some things To, you know, give rewards to the people That have been supporting us, so Y'all stay tuned But without further ado We got a Special episode for the day You know Melo, Carmelo Anthony Fresh off of an interview On ESPN Let's discuss the, the 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 desolation of Carmelo Anthony, the 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 status of Carmelo Anthony as an NBA player as he stands right now in 2019. Before we go anywhere, what do you think is going to happen to Melo for the 2019 2020 season? Oh, son, I'm kind of torn,
1: man. Like I said, I want to see I want to see Melo play again, but the reality is. I, the way the NBA is, sometimes when you're out, they don't really work, they don't really do their due, ju- due diligence to get you back in, you know, so there's a lot of cats that once they out the NBA, they stay out. Uh, hopefully, for Melo's sake, you know, he can get back in the league. I mean, he definitely can still play, and I think he can fit uh, systems, but the reality is, I don't know, because I would rather see him either in Denver or New York, like, because that's where he, with the bulk of his career, if he's trying to hop, hop, hop around for a ring, it shouldn't be this hard for him to get into a team. You know, so like I said, there's more to it than what we know, but I would like to see him in the league at least, you know, I think because I think he can still play. So I, th- I can think he can be in the sixth man, seventh man role, even though his mentality is number one option, but the reality is that you're not that no more. You know, or no NBA teams will allow you to be that anymore.
0: Carmelo Anthony just turned 35 in May. Yeah. So if we just, you know, from what you got on the front of your cortex, can think of great players with age 35 seasons, excluding LeBron's about to have one, in my opinion. But if he doesn't, then so be it. But I think, what, Michael Jordan had a a great age 35 season? Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Who else can you really think of? Uh...
1: Carl Malone probably.
0: Yeah, Carl Malone probably had a great age thirty-five season. I'll, I'll pull that up, and we'll cross-reference that. Throw that data in there. Um,
1: maybe I gotta yeah. look. We'll look to see what uh, maybe somebody like. I know Kareem had.
0: Mhm. Pretty good late thirties to up until forty because he played till he was like what 42, 43 or something like that. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. I think he was still like 19 and 8 on autopilot at that time.
1: Yeah, I I would definitely believe that. I would definitely believe that. Carl Malone's age
0: 35 season, he averaged 25.5 a game. Mm. He averaged 9.5 rebounds a game, 3.7 assists, one steal, just under a block, around three turnovers a game, 2.8. He shot. Let's see, what was his overall field goal percentage? He shot 50%. Mm. And he shot 79% from the free throw line. And he played in 82 games.
1: Mm, don't see. You okay. know what?
0: Correction. Correction. His age 35 season was actually the year before that. It was the lockout season. And he averaged 23.8. So get this. He played better in his age 36 season than he did in his age 35 season in scoring alone. He scored better and shot better a year after his 35 season. So I I bring all that up to say, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, the NBA has a way of working you out of the league and not allowing you to work yourself back in. Those weren't the exact words you used, but that's kind of the sentiment. That, like, you know, if you fall out of favor with the so-called powers that be in the NBA – Getting back in is going to be a difficult thing for you. I'm going to touch on that later in the, in the podcast because I, I know I mentioned to you a sidebar thought about uh, um, a number one draft pick. that I just find funny that here we are trying to figure out where Melo can fit in the league. And you've got guys who really haven't done diddly squat, don't even really have a resume that warrants getting an invitation based off of where they started that are getting an opportunity to come back to the league. And, and here we got Melo essentially fighting for his professional basketball career. Do you see or do you or could you imagine Melo finishing out playing basketball anywhere other than the United States?
1: I don't think he he doesn't strike to me as the type of person that would do that. I think the fact that we see so many clips of Melo still putting that work in hoodie Mello, the fact that he still think he still got it. I don't think he would ever go overseas. And I think, honestly, this wouldn't be the time for him to go to the big three. You know, I think something like that for him, psychologically, I think that he wouldn't do that. He would just stop playing or we would just see him videos of him working out, you know, and and helping maybe younger players and that type of mentorship grow. But, yeah, I don't see him going overseas doing, you know, China, nothing like that. He doesn't strike me as that person that would do that.
0: All right. So, before we get too crazy into Melo's current situation, let's 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 go into the origin. So, he was a high school all American. He went to um, Oak Hill, the basketball factory, Oak Hill. Mm-hmm. After doing his numbers at Oak Hill, he played one year at Syracuse and was the leading scorer on a team that eventually won, went on to win the NCAA championship. So mm-hmm. he was a freshman national champion. Mm-hmm. And he was the best player I think he was, in college
1: basketball that year.
0: I think he – did he get MOP that year or most outstanding player? for Yeah, well, he definitely was... got
1: it for the tournament. Um, that part about him having it in college, I believe – I don't know if he got player of the year. I definitely know he got most outstanding player for the uh, NCAA tournament. I'd have to look that up. Uh, we also got – you know, obviously – you know he got the he got he got the freshman of the year, you know, in NCAA. Um,
0: he definitely got mop because I'm I'm confirming that now.
1: Yeah, I'm he, I'm actually reading. If I'm reading this correct, I got to double check this site right here. But if I'm reading this correct, Mello got second team All American. Mm-hmm. After doing the work he did, he's second team. Golly. Mm-hmm. All
0: right, well, you know, it is what it is. He averaged a double double, yeah, 22 and 10 as a freshman in the Big East. And this is when the Big East was still dominating the Big East as we know it. You know, this was when the Big East was a power conference, like winning the Big East essentially guaranteed you a number one seed type of reputation. In the Big East, so he does all that. And then a funny segue that I wanted to mention he, he goes to the draft and he's in the same draft as. Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, and somehow manages to go to the Denver Nuggets with what the number three pick? Number three. He was um he was drafted by Denver at number three because Joe Dumars wanted Darko Milicic. And the reason why I brought up that as a funny segue is because I saw a random post on Facebook from a good friend of mine. Shout out to um Mike. He says the reason why Melo's career has played out the way it was is because Joe Dumas made the decision to pass on Melo, and that is what spared Melo the opportunity to actually really become a complete basketball player. The fact that he didn't wind up going to the Detroit Pistons organization where people believed he would have got the basketball education that he needed to become a more complete player. In my mind, I don't really think that his trajectory was really going to change because most people who formulate an opinion on Carmelo Anthony, they all seem to be consistent. Like, Melo is one of those, he's going to do what he want to do types.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, it, yes, it could have. I mean, that's, that's one of those things you, you don't know. I mean, yes, could have been set around about all those vets, those vets going to the Eastern Conference Finals all the time. Could he have gotten them a ring? Better, He could have had a better career than Darko for them. Oh well, he
0: already had he already had a better career than Darko. Period. No, no, so no. So we're not no, even. No, gonna, no, yeah. no. I'm
1: talking about in relations to Detroit could have used that and, and kept that Chauncey ripping all of them alive, as opposed to just always making Eastern Conference Finals and getting you know getting beat because they, they how many they went to a lot of Eastern Conference Finals.
0: I think they went to four
1: or five in a row. Yeah, and but this is the thing. But they you, went
0: to the finals twice.
1: Yeah, but if you had Mello, you definitely would have got to a, another at least another finals appearance
0: Seems but here's the thing and this is this is when when like I said my friend made the post I had to you know be a voice of reason because that's just the way I think
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: I don't I don't think Melo goes to Detroit and becomes a better defender I don't think he goes to Detroit and becomes a better team basketball player because a funny thing happened in 2004 where did Melo go and play basketball a, uh, D- Denver no. In 2004, yeah, he was already in Denver. He got drafted in 2003 by the Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But In 2004, he was a part of that bronze medal winning Olympic team coached by who? Oh, yeah. Larry Brown. And Larry Brown was the coach who led Detroit to the finals. And they won a championship. Uh-huh. So the same guy who wouldn't play defense for Larry Brown with his country's reputation on the line would have somehow... Embrace playing defense and fundamentals on the Detroit Pistons? Nah. Well, he wasn't. Listen, again, everybody points to all the different opportunities for Melo to have been, you know, pulled aside and convinced that he needs to do this to make his game better or he needs to do this to make the team better. I think he got all those conversations. I just don't think he has it in him. There's some guys you can tell him the most convincing and compelling argument in the world. They can believe you with all their heart, but when it's time to go out and execute, they just don't have that in them. They just don't have that in them. There's there's rumors that Dwight Howard is actually deadly from 15 to 18 feet from the basket, shooting jump shots. Hmm. There's a rumor. Hakeem Olajuwon even backed it up. Kevin McHale said so. So yeah, Dwight Howard can actually shoot far beyond the range that he shows in the NBA game, but something happens to him when the game starts. Mm. So, again, I think Melo is the player that Melo was developed into being. That AAU system, that ISO, you're going to always destroy the guy in front of you mentality that was big part of that era of basketball that he grew up playing in. And I think when you when you're trained that way, all the other elements of the game, they don't wind up ever gaining the value necessary to really make you appreciate them and make them a part of your game that you need to that Detroit Pistons roster. It was full of guys who they had no choice, but he could, Mm -hmm. none of them, none of them were ever as offensively as talented as Melo barring machine Wallace,
1: but he could have, he could
0: have been that, uh, even referencing
1: back to the old Pistons that Vinnie Michael Johnson come in and get buckets because that's what Melo was based off of uh, just coming and get buckets, you know, so m Mello, okay, so, yeah. so, so he could have could have been the six man, six man as a as a rookie, right, in that system mm-hmm. and still would have worked. He still would have been he could, he would have been that so he still would have been captain offense, but he would have came off as the sixth man and eventually he would have took Tayshawn Prince's role or Larry Brown would have eventually tried to trade him because he didn't fit Larry Brown's system. But remember he didn't get that much. Him, LeBron and D Wade didn't get much playing time. In that uh, Team USA debacle back in the day, so it was like, correct, you know what I mean. So it's like, but he, I, and that could have been a situation. Who knows why? You know that that's something Larry Brown got to answer. You know, what oh me? Larry Brown he,
0: doesn't. Larry Brown has always been big on not playing rookies.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's always I mean, torn.
0: To his death. So even yeah, on an Olympic t- stage, on a world stage where your reputation is on the line, yeah, you're gonna bank on, on your quote unquote proven guys. That was just a poorly assembled team and uh, like a definition of Murphy's Law with USA Basketball, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, because you had Destiny
1: and went crazy. I think it was. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, nah, but, you know, but that's the thing. All right, but, you know, forget the what if with that That uh, kind of moving past that one because Mello, you know, we, consensus Detroit should have picked him, obviously. You know, everybody like that, but, but he didn't go. He didn't go. He went to Denver. And, you know, he, he pretty much put a lot of work in when he was in Denver. I mean, he averaged twenty twenty-one his rookie season. And he was actually he took he took that team of Denver that didn't make the playoffs uh the year prior to him getting drafted and they made the playoffs. Where, you know, that's that was one thing where he was trying to argue like, hey, I should get more rookie of the year consideration. Yeah, LeBron's gonna be maybe the next face of the league, but he didn't get that team to the playoffs. I did.
0: And I got but my I team think- to the playoffs. I think that the Carmelo Anthony Rookie of the Year debate is very much valid. Like they've put his numbers on memes in comparison to LeBron. I watched the NBA heavily at that time, and I definitely felt like Melo was the most dangerous rookie of that class that year. Oh, absolutely! You could see what was going to become of LeBron, but like I think that's just that's the that's the um, that's the like quandary that NBA teams get put in or, or NBA players get put in because you have the sports writers who see the potential and they bank on it and vote for you to do something based on what they see coming, you know, in the future versus the guy who's doing the work now. And you've seen that come full circle to come back to hurt LeBron because LeBron has had some great seasons where he wasn't even in the top five for MVP. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that guy who's the quote unquote future of the league has gotten the MVP every year that LeBron didn't, you know? One year was James Harden.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, now it's
0: Russell Westbrook. Well, now it's Giannis. You get what I'm yeah. saying? These are all guys who are having great individual campaigns, and you could say, yeah, they're the most valuable player on their team because their team had a great year, surrounded by their great year, but are they truly the most valuable player in the league? I mean, it's, it's almost a rhetorical question until LeBron has that year where everybody's like, yeah, the cliff has officially hit him, but not even going there. So,
1: I see Well, remember the Mellow art, let me say this real quick. Mello the year before Mellow got drafted, the they, they the Denver went seventeen and sixty five, right? So one of the worst teams in the league. Um then the year he come, he plays, they made the eighth seed. They basically was forty they went forty three and thirty nine and they were in the eighth seed. Now the the thing about that, they also added um Andre Miller as as you know they signed him as a free agent but mellow averaged 21 like i said a game so he made the playoffs obviously they went against that's the and that's also the year Garnett won mvp so yeah obviously mellow's not he's not big time like that to be overtaken as the ac overtaking the timberwolves you know um at that time cuz that's when you know garnett had um cassell and spreewell you know and they was putting that work in So, like I said, you know, that's a significant difference. That shows you the the impact Melo had on, you know, the team.
0: I mean, we're talking about a guy who, for his career, is a 44 to 45% field goal shooter, is a 35% three-point shooter. From the free throw line, he shoots 80%. Yeah, yeah. And he averages, his career average is 24 points a game. Yeah. So we're not talking about some journeyman here. We're talking about a guy who was arguably part of the NBA's Royal Guard for a majority of his career. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to say it's a shame, it's a travesty, because again, we don't know the inner workings of what's happened with him on these different NBA rosters that he's been on, the different team dynamics. But what I will say is that There's no player out there who's ever come out and spoken negatively about Carmelo Anthony as a teammate, not Chauncey Billups, who has no reason to not tell the truth. Kenya Martin, Andre Miller, Chris Stapps Porzingis, James Harden, Chris Paul, all of these guys had nothing but great things to say about playing with Carmelo Anthony, about what he's like in a locker room. Mm Mm-hmm. Even Amari Stoudemire, who we all know, is probably the best case example of somebody who could have had a reasonable, understandable friction with having Carmelo be a part of the team because of what was going on when he wound up coming, you know, because Melo forced his way onto that roster and they were already playoff bound without him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the parts that D'Antoni had found a way to fit in together, he had those all traded to Denver so that he could be a part of coming home to New York. Well, and also and I, remember at that point,
1: Amari was the man. So now Amari would have to be like, hey, this is my team and Melo's coming over and now, and now it's not my team anymore. So, yeah, he could, the egos
0: definitely could have played a huge factor in that. And not once have we heard Amari Stoudemire speak about that situation in a negative light. So either there's a cloak of silence amongst NBA players about how they really feel amongst Carmelo or the truth is somewhere in the middle That everybody considers Melo to be cool He's a good teammate, no problem playing with him As a teammate But now we go to the other side of it Coaches and management Carmelo Anthony winds up in Denver And one of his first coaches Is the guy who just retired From Houston as his defensive coordinator Jeff Bezdelic Mm -hmm. It's well documented that Melo and him Didn't get along and that Melo played a role In Bezdelic's career as a Denver Nuggets coach Ending before he wanted it to very I think much. that played a big part in where Melo's situation sits now. Because remember, Melo was in favor of his best friends with the players, Union Chief, Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul engineered to get him on the Rockets. And when he got him on the Rockets, Bizdelic wouldn't come back. Yep. And then he did come back, and Melo got released. Yeah. And then still, here we are, at the end of that season, Bisdelic retires again. Because I guess he knew the writing on the wall with the whole D'Antoni situation that all the coaches were going to get fired, so he I'll quit before they fired me. Exactly. But the, Houston's defensive rating was still pretty much pretty good. So he did his job, numbers-wise. Mm-hmm. He, he, he made them balanced. They were a, a decent defensive team, in spite of the, the, the players that they trotted out there. You know, P.J. Tucker plays enough defense for like three people. You know, Chris Paul, he's going to, you know, he's going to do his numbers. You know what James Harden does when it comes to defense. But all those surrounding parts, along with Clay Capella, they formed a pretty decent NBA defense. I'm just surprised that when he got let go by Houston, that his season essentially ended. That was not something I expected.
1: Yeah, but I th- you know what? I, I, this, today he mentioned that Dan and Tony didn't have anything to do with it. But I felt like Dan Tony did, man, because I'm like, because remember him and Dan Tony when he was a Nick, that was that was a toxic relationship, and now that Mello's coming back over here to Houston and Dan Antonio's is in charge, I'm like, he's probably look, he's not putting a good word in for Mello, and it must have been something about Mello that people were like, nah, I don't want him a part of my team, because like I said, you 10 games in. You could easily get picked up because remember he was already on like a league minimum contract.
0: He wasn't having, he didn't have a big time contract. Yeah, he didn't cost anybody. Like take a flyer on Melo. What's it gonna cost you? Two hundred grand, one hundred and fifty. Like he he was on one of those like one year, two million dollar veteran deals. Like you know you got nine plus years in the league, so you guaranteed at least like two million a year. He was on one of those, and mind you, it's not even a full season, so you're not even paying a four year salary to a guy who just got given away by Houston. Because yeah. Remember, at first they said, Oh, we're gonna try to trade him. We're gonna try to trade him to give him the opportunity to go somewhere he wants to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They didn't even trade him. I think he got cut, right?
1: Yeah, he got cut, cut by the uh the Bulls.
0: Oh, so he did get traded. That's right. Because right. Houston they got... traded
1: him to uh, yeah, the Houston basically traded him to Chicago. And well, oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it was. No, no, he got waved 10 games in, but I think somehow I think. Houston got him because he signed like a minimum, minimum contract. With they Houston. traded
0: Anthony to uh, Chicago Bulls in exchange for Tadeja Dragachevic. Yeah, whatever his name and is. And then the Bulls waived him on February 1st. So he gets waived two, three weeks before the All-Star game. Yeah. Two, three weeks before the All-Star game. And that, that- and before the trading deadline. Correct. So, So that window of time is when any team looking to add some punch to their roster for a playoff push or even to get them over the hump as a playoff team could have added mellow and everybody passed. Yeah. And I don't know if this is kind of like the fallout from what happened in Oklahoma city, but I never blamed him for the numbers dip that he took at Oklahoma city and how he was perceived. I blamed it on more so how they deployed him out there with with that roster that they had, mm-hmm. you got him, Paul George, and and Russell Westbrook, and somehow
1: Billy Donovan couldn't make it work. Yeah, and and it also said what well, he mentioned it today that he was he was told that he was going to be the fourth option in that situation behind Stephen Adams. So that was crazy. When I heard that, I was like, wait a minute.
0: That makes sense, though. I mean. From a basketball perspective, you know that makes sense. You've got, you got, you got, you got a usage rate on Russell that's going to be his normal. That wasn't going to change. You mm-hmm. got Paul George, who this was his first opportunity to be a second option. Mm-hmm. You've got Steven Adams, who's your role guy. He's going to yeah. be setting picks for both Westbrook and for Paul George. Yeah, and for any other ball handler that they trot out there. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Mello playing whichever, whichever corner makes sense for him to spot up in. So yeah. on a roll, Adams is naturally going to get more touches than somebody like Carmelo Anthony. That's just basketball sense. The roll guy touches the ball. Like, that's the thing. If people go back and look and see how many touches teams that run pick and roll centers heavy, how much touches did those guys really get, those guys touch the ball a lot. Mm -hmm. and oftentimes they're touching the ball within like seven to eight feet of the rim. So, you know, a lot of Of these centers are working on their floater game or they're trying to see how far they can get away from the rim and still do a one hand dunk. And Steven Adams is pretty athletic. So I'm not surprised that they were honest enough to say, Hey, there's a chance that Steven Jackson. I mean, Steven Adams is going to touch the ball more than you and wind up being a third option just by the nature of how we play. I I don't know if Melo was prepared to hear that though. I think that's probably one of the issues. I don't know if brutal honesty is actually the best path to go when you got a guy like Melo in front of you. I I don't know if that affected him to a point because I'm pretty sure none of those things got said to him when he went and joined the Olympic team. It was just kind of like a hey, you know everybody here is good when you get the ball shoot. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the approach that you got to take with a guy like Melo. Maybe you don't flat out put too much of the facts in front of him to damper his spirit or affect his ego, or make him feel lesser than. You, you got to, I don't know. I, I really don't know his temperament as a basketball player. It's never really been documented, like I say, because all of the players who speak about him, it's always in a complimentary fashion. So I really don't know what his makeup is as a person mm-hmm. when it comes to, to, to what you have to do to get the best out of him as a player. I don't know if there's a coach out there who even knows either because Melo was a machine. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. put Melo out there, you give him 30 minutes a game, you're going to get 22, six to seven rebounds, so on and so forth. That, that was mellow. Prime mellow, that was what you were going to get. And while mm-hmm. we're on prime mellow conversation, just briefly, Prime mellow, to me, is not better than prime Tracy McGrady.
1: Mm, OK. In my
0: opinion, in my opinion, Prime Tracy McGrady.
1: Now this is this is your what do you what do you consider prime Tracy McGrady? Obviously, the end of his Orlando years and the very beginning of his Houston years, or when he was
0: strictly on the Rockets or strictly on Orlando. I like- believe I believe that Tracy McGrady's prime, from even a statistical health and athletic standpoint, it starts with year one in Orlando because he mm. exploded. He exploded year one. Oh, did he ever? Yeah, he averaged almost twenty seven a game, I think, or twenty eight a game. So you got year one in Orlando up until that final injury he had in Houston?
1: Yeah. So you're talking about probably – so basically from his age – from basically – you're saying basically from age 21 to age 27? So he had about six to seven-year prime run?
0: Of health with a combination of health and –
1: Yeah, because he played – well, that's the only thing with McGrady. When he was in Orlando, he played like in the seventies games in the seventies, but when he was in Houston, there was a one point in Houston where we only played like half the season. I think he messed his knee up or something I have, mm-hmm. have to
0: double check what exactly happened that particular yeah that year. was that was that was the year that um I'm trying to look it up now so his his age twenty eight season. No, it was the season before he was twenty-eight. Right. His 28th season he he played sixty-six games. Mm-hmm. His twenty-nine season, he only played thirty-five. Yeah. So that's the two thousand eight, two thousand nine season. And I think that's when the microfracture situation happened.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh I yeah, it could have been he could have been even right there. Or you know what? Yeah, it was definitely because there was a lot of players that had that around and started having those
0: Microfiber. He was one of the last few guys to get it. So the microfracture, the the microfracture all stars. You got Amari Stoudemire. Yeah, wasn't it? He had it done. Jason Kidd had it. Amari Stoudemire is the only one out of all of those guys who came back with any type of ferocity to his game. Still, Jason Kidd came back and he basically stopped even trying to dunk. And there was a time. Yeah. There was a time where Jason Kidd was walking up the court and doing one hand dunks basically. Like oh, that's yeah. how strong and athletic he was. Oh, yeah. After the microfracture, you know, his layup game got to be, you know, some of the sickest things you could ever see. Like, the highlights from post-microfracture and how he adjusted were pretty amazing.
1: Well, I also remember he started shooting three-pointers. Yeah. No, you gotta whole, think, well, you got to think about Jason Kidd is <clears throat> one of the all-time three-point leaders. Makes. A makes. That's what I'm saying. But remember, Jason Kidd coming out of college he couldn't throw a rock in the he couldn't throw a rock in the ocean. From when it comes to the jump shot,
0: the whole Jason Kidd became a better shooter thing. I think there's, I think there's gloss to it. I don't want to throw shade on him because last episode I kind of like buried him. Did Jason Kidd definitely <laughs> statistically became a much better NBA shooter from three point land over his career. There's a lot of reasons why it happened. We're not going to go into it right now, but I definitely see your point and I'm definitely going to call it valid, but I do want to point out the fact that there's a reason why that guy was taking so many uncontested threes versus when he was in his career in his prime and he was the primary ball handler. You know, when you're off the ball and you're allowed to get into your set motion and all you have to do is catch plant release. It's a different shot than the whole, Oh my God, the team's not got to, we don't have, we're not in a good play. There's only eight seconds left on the court. I got to call a quick screen and roll and shoot behind the screen, or I got to come off the screen to the left and, and, and shoot a three. The quality of the three point shots that he started to take as his career winded down increased dramatically versus what the, the shots he used to take early on.
1: No, no, to- totally, kind of totally good. But the thing about it, the fact that he still had to make those shots, as bad of a shooter as he was, remember, there was a time, no matter if you left him open or not, he wasn't hitting a jump shot.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Jason Kidd, listen, like I said, factually proven, he became a better shooter over the course of his NBA career, and his rank among all-time players with makes is indisputable. So, I'm, I'm, I can't sit up here and discredit the man. I just think, like LeBron, Like remember that year LeBron? Well, he never got close to 90, but remember that year he was chasing 50-40-90 with, with the Heat? Oh, yeah. yeah and he yeah, was yeah. out there, and he was out there just basically, and somehow he managed to average like 26 a game but he was taking, like, a collection of the most makeable shots a six eight guy could take in NBA history. Like, he was out there just like, I'm not going to take a bad shot. Mm. I'm not going to do it. And that's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the way the game is supposed to be played. But it was a level of playing it safe that he did in, in, in the midst of chasing the championship that I thought was amazing, but also kind of like it wasn't true to the nature of what his game really is. hmm I just think he compressed himself because, again, he he had become to understand what an NBA season is. It's a grind. I got to be able to hold my body together for this length of time. I'm at a heavier weight, but more muscle on my body than I ever had before. I, I wanna I wanna see I wanna see it through, but even with all that being said, the first time he had played 82 games in a long time was what like two years ago in Cleveland. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So there was a yeah, yeah, yeah. there was a level of quiet micromanagement going on with the whole LeBron James efficiency season. So I just think sometimes you have to look at the statistics and also be able to put them in context of what actually happened that year. And I think like I said, when it comes to Jason Kidd, that's what happened. Like the context of the shots he was taking, the quality improved so much that again, we all we we've seen it. We watch NBA players that guys don't even know about that. We've seen shoot, and you're like, oh my God, how come you don't do that in the game?
1: Yeah, of And course. then come yeah, game yeah. time,
0: and then come game time, you think that they're out there committing assault and battery the way the basketball is being aimed at fans. That's, yeah. With yeah, their yeah, jump yeah. shot. So, yeah. so there's a psychology that exists along with the sport that I think gets overlooked. You know what I'm saying? Just like the whole arena impact. There's are certain arenas that some NBA players will never be able to play in because they don't understand depth perception. That's why mm. so many players come to the garden and they love it because the garden has a totally different feel on that court than any other arena in the league. The way yeah. that arena's situated, the way the lighting hits it, the way everybody else is dark in the background, I think Brooklyn tried to recreate that with what, they, what they're Absolutely. doing there. But that, that, that type of... And, and then there's other arenas where it's the absolute opposite, where you can't go anywhere and, and there, there isn't light. Yeah. So... Every arena, the NBA experience, like, like I said, some of the best, they are the best basketball players in the world for being able to make those adjustments on the fly every game, two games a season, and then going on to the playoffs. But um, as far as to wrap up the whole Mello situation, I think, again, that there's, like, a couple teams out there who made it clear indirectly to people who know Melo, like, hey, if X, Y, Z happens, then will come calling but the uncertainty of having to hope for dominoes to fall for you to get a job in comparison to people banging on your door begging you to come play for them it's got to be a very difficult situation for a person of his level of talent to deal with and i feel for him but i definitely do want to see Melo wrap up his career in the united states playing on an nba team and having some meaning and value to the minutes that he gets like what vince carter is doing i don't want to see tracy mcgrady do that Vince Carter's happy doing that, but I wouldn't... I'm not happy you don't seeing want to see Car- Carter you don't do see, No, you don't want to see Carmelo do that. And I definitely don't want to see Carmelo do it. I'm not happy watching Vince do it. I wasn't happy watching Vince do it last year. I mean, it's cool yeah. that he's still playing, and he's able to defy Father Tom, but, you know, come on. He's playing like seven, eight minutes a game, and then they're out there trotting him out there to play extended minutes on a team that's not very good just to make sure that he gets over the 25,000-point mark. Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is what it is, but, you know... He could have did that on the Lakers. He could have did that. You know, he could have did that on, on, on Toronto. Mm-hmm. He, he, there's a lot of different places that he could have bid his farewell to. And, and Vince Carter is supposed to be playing this year, too. So some team is going to pick him up just for the novelty. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, that'd be interesting. So um, the next topic on the agenda, I got to pull this up on my computer. Yeah, I think we, had we are the, going um, to NBA Christmas schedule, right? Or no? Correct. Correct, and you predicted this. So shout out to C. Grant on the accurate prediction. He said Christmas Day, we'll know what the temperature is on. who said Frank Vogel. Yeah, oh, definitely Vogel by that point, because come Christmas Day, the Clippers and Lakers will be playing in the Staples Center for probably the first battle of LA. And it's basically, I think if this is if
1: this is right, it will be a home game for the Lakers.
0: It's listed as. Lakers versus Clippers. So that gives the Clippers the. Oh, it the is? Okay. Team. Okay.
1: I wasn't too sure. I was I was looking at. No, see. Well, I'm
0: looking at it on ESPN. It oh, says Lakers okay. versus
1: Clippers. You know what? And Bleacher Report is saying Clippers at Lakers.
0: So that's why. Okay. Either way, we're we talking Staples Center. But I'm just saying, if you. Yeah. Look, the court colors is going to be different the, based on who's
1: awarded the home game. Well, not just that. That's what I was saying. Folk, Frank Vogel. If you're going in in there with the Lakers' colors on the floor and you get destroyed, it's a wrap. It's a wrap for you. You know, God forbid y'all record is like borderline 500 and you get crushed by the Clippers who got the
0: best record in the league or something. You know what I mean? Like, nah. If the Lakers are not, if the Lakers are chasing 500 going into Christmas, Frank Vogel will not be the coach. That's true. You can stamp that. The 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 LeBron James new team we start slow mantra is not gonna fly in Los Angeles. No, I can't. That's the one city he will not be able to get away. They got away with nine and eight the first year of the Heatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got away with a slow start when he came back to Cleveland. They they actually had a better start. Well, well, no, they weren't that good at the beginning of the season for for the Lakers last year. They reeled off a couple of wins to put them into that you know top four contention before LeBron you know, sprained his blowing. The next game on that slate, Houston Rockets and the Warriors. Whoo! You know what? Let's do that. The Rockets have made some peculiar roster additions quietly. They have acquired two former big-time NBA draft picks who didn't play well. So, right now, we're wondering if Carmelo Anthony can get a job but Anthony Bennett just signed a non-guaranteed contract to play for the Houston Rockets. That's crazy. And I forgot who else is the other former. I'm gonna have to look. Well, up didn't name. they sign Tyson Chandler? Tyson Chandler signed, but he wasn't the guy I was speaking of. I mean, you know what you're gonna get from Tyson Chandler. But there was another guy that they signed who who has a, a big time if level to his uh to his career status right now. Oh, I'm trying to pull it up. Um, hopefully, it's actually on here because ESPN is not listing everything. Um, oh, Ben McLemore. Correct. Yep. So you got McLemore, who was part of that same draft as, uh, as Anthony Bennett. Oh, yeah, that's and, right. That's right. Yeah. And the 2013 NBA draft is one of the most mishandled drafts in NBA draft history. I did send you a, a list of, of the players involved in it and how mm-hmm. horribly weird the landings of players was in that draft. Naming the teams who drafted them, I'm, I'm pretty sure if we started rattling off the names, our listeners probably won't recall where a lot of these guys originally got drafted.
1: Yeah. But realizing
0: the order that they went in is, is almost hysterical. But you got the Rockets playing the Warriors. Clay Thompson already came out and said that his goal is not to make it on the court before the All Star break. Mm-hmm. Houston, they're going to have a hot seat coach in Mike Dantoni. They're another team that, if they're not five to six games above 500 at the least before they go into that Christmas game, we won't be seeing Dantoni coaching. So, yeah. I think that game is going to be exciting because, you know, they do have like a little mini rivalry going over there. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia is going to be hosting Milwaukee on Christmas, that's a game I'm definitely going to be watching. Definitely going to be watching. Because mm-hmm. at that point, we'll know how well Milwaukee has adjusted to the changes that they had to go through when losing Brogdon so on and so forth. So I'm curious as to how they're going to incorporate that. And then, you know, Philadelphia with their Frankenstein front line. Yeah. I'm looking to see how those teams are going to match up and deploy, you know, their additions against each other. Boston and Toronto... Uh, yeah I don't know what's about
1: that one if if Kimber's
0: out there cutting everybody, I might tune in. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they get the early slot like I'm hoping that it plays out that Lakers Clippers is one of the last games like Lakers Clippers and Rockets and Warriors, like they close out the night and maybe we open it with Milwaukee and Philadelphia. Boston and Toronto, because those are both two Eastern teams. Mm. And then the last game that they have listed is the Pelicans and, and Nuggets. So <laughs> Zion Williams is playing on Christmas his rookie year. Yeah. There is no story whatsoever involved in the New Orleans Pelicans and Denver Nuggets playing each other on Christmas night this year. There is no story. That's what I'm saying. That's, and I think, but I think to circle back what you're
1: talking about, that lakers Clippers is going to be like that 5 o'clock game. You know, right there, that, that, that lunchtime. I mean, I did a game.
0: That's going to be a 7, 8 o'clock game. No, nah, nah, they,
1: they need, uh uh-uh. Because it's normally like that. When Lakers first, when I remember when Lakers versus Celtics, when they had Garnett in them, that game was the 5 o'clock game. They had it. They had because game. they played in Boston. No, they played in L.A. I remember one year they played in L.A. It was one year, I want to say 2009,
0: maybe 2010. I remember probably 2009. Um, they would definitely the yeah after it was probably the year after Boston kicked their ass and won a title. Yeah, uh, yeah it was probably 2010.
1: But either way, like I said, so I'm thinking because when I'm looking at these rosters, when I'm looking at these lineups, for one, I thought it would be the Knicks and the Nets would be up there because the Knicks normally play that twelve o'clock slot, you know. Um But you know, who who knows? You know like I said, because like I said, that Pelican Pelican Nuggets, that's no that's no story to it. You know, but you got to say with the Knicks versus the Nets, you already built in the story. Plus, that L.A., New York, and L.A. your biggest markets. So you, you would think on Christmas you would have both of your biggest markets playing, and especially right. having two rival teams playing that night. Which I, like I said, I don't understand why it wasn't because you think by then you could have a whole market marketing for the whole city. You know, on the train station, you could have this, that, and the third. You could have you know so many different things going on. Um. That was showing the new, the new subway. It was, it was, it was, it basically was sell itself, you know what I mean? Like, so on Christmas, but you just never know. The NBA might kick off the season, you know, on TNT
0: or something, or ESPN with Knicks versus Nets, you know. Keep yeah. in mind, keep in mind, they may add because I think Christmas usually gets six games, so there may be another game out there. Really? I
1: thought, okay, yeah. I always thought it was five, but okay, yeah. But I yeah, either way, I see what you're saying, though. But there's guess- a
0: possibility of of that's still happening. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna really speak too heavily on it, but I think that there's been a conscious decision by the NBA when it comes to the Knicks and what they're doing. We'll we'll do a podcast on that. But mm-hmm. I definitely feel like there's a strategy going on with what 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 the league is doing with the New York Knicks currently. You know, they they, they know what they have to do. So it's better to shutter a team that's not gonna give the brand the, the, the imagery that they want But at the same time You're getting code too crazy We're pushing Brooklyn on people Because Brooklyn is still technically Not using the word New York So it's uh-huh. like yeah we'll promote the star Power of the Brooklyn Nets But we're also Not going to allow the Brooklyn Nets we, we can't openly as the NBA You get what I'm trying to say mm. With those two teams not being anywhere near each other on talent level we can't openly do that To the Knicks right now We know the Knicks aren't good. We know the Nets were a playoff team without who they added. Now they've added some guys. We're not going to stack the chips that heavily against their favor and turn the city against them by having them get massacred on Christmas Day. So I think the NBA is being strategic and not putting that game out there because I'm not saying that the Knicks aren't able to beat anybody, but favorable? No. Nobody's going to favor the Knicks over the Nets in any of these matchups this year. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I like said just for me,
1: I was looking at it from the standpoint of your know, blockbuster matchups, you know,
0: storyline matchups for Christmas.
1: Agreed, agreed. The so. Battle of New York. hmm So like I I think said, they'll
0: I think they'll market the Battle of New York when the Knicks shave off these one year deals that look like two year deals now, and they're able to jump back into, you know, the salary cap game and trade for somebody. Because that's what they're probably gonna wind up doing in the off-season of 2020. They're probably going to look to shit. Because remember, a lot of the guys, that, all those those 17 power fours that they signed, they all got two-year deals, but everybody's second year is a player option except Julius Randle. Julius Randle got three, mm-hmm. with the third year being a player option. But everybody else is basically playing on a, on a, on a glorified one-year deal. You know, we saw what happened when um, Jabari did that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He had to go and get another two-year deal this year because nobody was going to re-sign him for the 20 million play adoption that he had when he took that deal with the Bulls. Mm-hmm. But um again, if you go through them and you rank them, I think the way they have them listed currently on ESPN.com as far as like what people want to see. The Lakers Clippers is the most intriguing matchup. Houston Rockets and Warriors is definitely probably second. Bucks Sixes is a strong third. Maybe could argue to be moved up to second. And I honestly would rather see the Pelicans and Nuggets play than the Celtics and Raptors. Just because of the Zion fanfare and that roster that they have with all my, you know, ex Laker players being the Pelicans, you know, the new Orleans Lakers is, they got a nicely young talented team. There. Yeah. That, that's going to be, that's going to be a team that's going to play versus, versus a young core who's been together for a while. and, was arguably the West best team for much, much of last year record wise, they finished with the second seed, but they had the first seed for almost like 75% of the season before golden state went on a run and then just held on for the remainder of the regular season to keep that number one seed that they had going into the playoffs. So I can see, I can see from a a, let's go out there and get all these people who are going to probably make Zion the number one Jersey seller this year. Let's give them a show and let's showcase him on, on, on Christmas Day. I'm hoping by then that Zion has shown some good returns and has made it worth it because there's so many different directions his career could, could go in that yeah. know, I, really don't know, I really don't know what to look for or what to expect. I mean, I've always, since I saw him, I said, you know, his, his ceiling or, or best-case scenario for him without the weight would be to have a career equivalent to how Charles Barkley came into the league. And just be a matchup that nobody could deal with. Yeah, yeah, of and course. If, and, if, and, if, and if Barkley got you on his back, you, you were done for. And I've seen that in Zion. No matter how big the guy is guarding him, if Zion gets him in certain body positions, they can't stop him. Because mm-hmm. he has such a low center of gravity, but yet he's so strong. So that combination is very difficult for even the tallest defenders to deal with. You know, That's why P.J. Tucker is able to defend a lot of these guys. Because even though he's small... His, small, his his center of gravity is low, but he's also very strong. So he's got a strong core. Who else was a guy who did that? Um, Houston had another guy who used to do that. He couldn't shoot anything to save anything. Chuck, what's, oh man, Chuck Hayes. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Chuck Hayes was out there six, four, five, six tallest,
1: mm-hmm.
0: out there guarding, you know, Shaq, Yao Ming. Who, yep. He didn't care. And he was giving them problems on defense. So that's right, that's right. It's definitely possible for like you know an undersized guy to, to make up for it with his body type, and I think Zion has that. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see what type of players teams try to throw out there to guard him. Like, I mean, I'm sorry to bring up the Knicks again, but I think that preseason highlight was one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen where he just basically stripped Kevin Knox of all of his maturity, took the ball from him, and dunked it. Did you see that in the summer oh, game? Of course. That's man. That's oh, man. that's that's probably ESPN's probably running commercials with that. That was that was that was definitely baby food of the summer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, that was like straight light work because he, he threw him to the ground and plus Knox is just looking like, damn. Hope they ain't got this, but
0: <laughs> yeah, we got it. We, we we caught it. We caught it. just hope you don't you don't get the super slow mo version, but um. <laughs> We're, we're running into the, the, the final segment tonight,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: we are going to touch on some touchy-feely situations going on with David Griffin and LeBron James. mm
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, Matthew So,
0: Great. So, you know, recently, David Griffin had an interview with Sports Illustrated where he made quite a few remarks about his time as the Cleveland Cavaliers GM. And one of the most notable quotes was that he said, Being a GM at that time was one of the most miserable experiences in his life. Mm,
1: mm, mm.
0: Among other things he said, I think that was probably one of the largest talking points that you could pull from that conversation and that interview. But the questions that you asked in us deciding to speak about this, I found them to be very interesting. I think your first question was, was why now? Exactly. Exactly. Do you have an idea? Did you come up with any theories I think,
1: why? I think what they were doing, it was I think it's a combination of stuff, right? From what I was looking at the article, they were trying, I guess, and then he also said something on ESPN today was, it was based on, like, him taking over the Pelicans and them having a fresh start with the whole number one draft pick, uh, the young Lakers, and he probably was comfortable in his skin to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to say whatever I want to say, they're gonna ask me whatever questions they ask me, and they're gonna go down a certain road, and I'm gonna let them go down that path. Cause as as professionals, they know how to avoid certain questions or how to kind of
0: shift, shift yeah, the gears. Nothing. So yeah, like next question, no comment. Those are not foreign things that are that that are heard in an interview. Yeah, exactly. Those but are things that are common
1: in an plus, interview. Plus, you're talking about the original Sports Illustrated interview wasn't done live. You know, and it wasn't like, oh, you're live on television, and you're answering all these questions, and that's one of those things you just have to an answer. This was an article that I was written about, so they could, you didn't have to give the person, the writer, any ammunition. So even if you just said, I didn't say exactly word for word what that was, but you gave him enough to make his story sound good. You know, so when he puts, you know, he might, he might, you might have used, you might have not used miserable. You might have been just like challenging. But he puts miserable. You know what I mean? Because you told him it was challenging, and you didn't say it to the point. The fact of, and it was challenging in a good way. You know what I mean? Because plus, also with him, with back to Griffin, is he's got the security right now. You just, you just when owners you help the team get the number one draft pick, and you got these young players where the expectation is not there. Whereas LeBron, having LeBron on your team, you have to do, you have to produce finals championships. Like if you're the GM for any LeBron given team, you're fine. You got you know the, the threshold is the finals in or to win. And, and when did beat. that
0: start? When did that start? In your opinion, this whole if you got LeBron, you've got to put a team together that can contend for a title. I, I think, think it was after Miami, honestly. I think it was before that. You think it was before that? Really?
1: Where, I think where it all so-
0: started. I think it all started that year where they were having a whole bunch of funny business going on at the deadline. They almost traded for a my Mike Brown was still a coach. They go to, what was it, the Eastern Conference finals and flame out against Dwight Howard. And Dwight Howard and, and um, the Magic go on to the finals to lose to Kobe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that year when he, like you said, decided that he was going to leave to go to Miami, I think from that point on, Every team or every GM or anybody involved in the front office who had LeBron James on their roster, that's when they felt like, yo, we have to have a team capable of getting to the finals or else he's not going to want to be here. I think it definitely started there. I think Cleveland got wind of it because, remember, they were still, before he left, putting together these you know awkward rosters, but they were full of players that supposedly – like remember they had Anton Jameson for a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a whole bunch of funny combinations of players that came through there. Mo Williams. Um, they had a lot of, like, you know, random veterans that normally would be like that last piece that might get you over the hump to win a championship. But in Cleveland, they couldn't do it because, again, it was still basically just LeBron and, you know, the the Le- LeBron heirs. No matter mm-hmm. what different combination of players they put out there, it's still – Boiled down to the same thing. I mean, we sometimes forget that LeBron James didn't he? Did he play with Ricky Davis? Uh,
1: if he played with Ricky Davis, it was his first year, but I, yeah, I think, he played with Larry Hughes. Yeah, we know that. See, I don't, I'm
0: not so sure if he played with Ricky Davis then. He definitely um, played with Eric Snow. Yeah, he's he Snow, definitely with he's Snow. He played with all three versions of Zadrunas Elgowskis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he played with uh, Drew Gooden. That's right, Drew Gooden. What what was their what was their version of Schlafra Lafis, <laughs> Lafka, They had they had they had about four or five different versions of those guys on their team. Mm-hmm. You know the mm-hmm. random. They had Carlos. Remember, he shit. had
1: Carlos Boozer.
0: He had Boozer, but Boozer pulled the most amazing hoodwink of of a of front office in history. with what he did when he got himself to Utah—that's a definite. Oh, yeah. I mean. You lie to a blind guy. Word. You yeah. lie to a blind guy. <laughs> you didn't oh, they, even cross your
1: fingers.
0: Nothing. Oh, they had. You Varijal. didn't tie your
1: shoes. They had, yeah, they had top.
0: Yeah, they had varish out, but no. But they had a um, they had a euro guy who was like six seven, six eight. It was supposed to be a good shooter, but wasn't really that good of a shooter. And he had one of those, you know, metal Slavic names. I can't oh, Sasha
1: Sa- 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 pa- was it Pavlovich? Yeah, Pavlovich. Yeah.
0: Right, Sasha, but he wasn't the yeah. only one like that that they had. Like, they had a different version of him. Oh, wait, let's not forget, Delonte West played there.
1: Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, LeBron didn't want to hear that. Yeah, so,
0: yeah. so, again, I think through Cleveland's failures, every other they picked up on what made sense and what was going to make LeBron happy as a player. So, my take on the article is, this is what happens when you have a writer who doesn't really like the person that they're interviewing is talking about. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely going to go down a certain direction. If you read the writing and the verbiage and the way he put it together, like there's just certain phrases and things in here. I'm not going to say they're unnecessary, but they're tone setting. So, So look, James string of one year contracts held the franchise captive. That's framing. Mm hmm. The reason is LeBron is getting all the credit and none of the blame. And that's not fun for people. So when you have quotes like that, that he may have said, and you can inject them with creative writing around, oh, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. But, I mean, this is 2019 going into 2020. What year didn't a really bad article or an article making LeBron James out to be not as great of a person, basketball player, in, in, enjoy in, enjoyable person to be with on the court what year has that article not come out it comes out every year True, it comes out every year they did it to him his first year in miami when him and spolster had to blow up where you know he walked through spolster like spolster was Casper the a ghost during a timeout oh yeah and yeah, they yeah. zoomed in on it and you see spolster's face like oh nobody saw this like i just got assaulted like they they blew that up like there's always going to be something with a guy as big as LeBron James is for the sport getting blown out of proportion. I just think David Griffin did the most calculated foot to the mouth things I've ever seen done because your rebuild is courtesy of LeBron James wanting the guy who didn't want to play for your team. Uh huh. So you're still doing business with the guy that you're saying made your life miserable. Whether you want to say it or not, we all know the reality of that situation. And the reality is, is that because of who LeBron's agent team is, who happens to be Anthony Davis's agent team, that's who you work with to orchestrate the trade. You traded your best player to a team. Where your former best player is playing. And to get him there, you had to negotiate with his representation. Mm -hmm. So I just think this is a situation where all the different times you've had to deal with LeBron, with the right questions being asked, you get an article like this. Do I think that David Griffin has a little bit of an issue with LeBron James overall? Of course, because everywhere LeBron James goes, after he leaves, there's always some sort of issue that somebody had with his overall existence being there. You can't deny that. It's undeniable. It's undeniable. Mm. That's what made Dan Gilbert act like a maniac. Of course. Because, again, he, he, he felt some type of way about how LeBron waltzed out of Cleveland and how they felt like they had bent over backwards to put together teams that were capable of winning. They were poorly built, poorly constructed. They obviously didn't wind up being successful. So, you know, LeBron James leaves you with an egg on your face. Yeah, you're going to lash out. Miami did it too when he left to go back to Cleveland. Yeah, it's cool. we glad he wanted to go home. You know, honestly, going home was really like the only thing that we would be cool. We would have been cool with him doing. That's the vibes that came from Miami when he left. Yeah, 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 yeah. He left us, but he went home. So going home, you know, you can't really be mad at that. You can't really be mad at that. Mm-hmm, but, you know, they mm-hmm. felt the way. Especially with what what wind up happening after he left. You know, Bosh. His situation came to an end. Dwayne Wade, he had that acrimonious temporary exile to Chicago. So everywhere that LeBron James has left, there's always been a little bit of malcontent. I mean, come on. When he did a decision, people were burning jerseys across the country. Yeah. So LeBron is always going to be cannon fodder for negativity. He's an easy target. I'm not saying it's, it's not warranted. It definitely is to some extent because, again, all of these people, they've spent extensive time around this man to form these feelings. But I just think that the timing of this article, I think the reporter would have been smarter to hold this in the tuck until, like, maybe September, October. Now you got LeBron James who got something that he could print out and be in his hyperbaric chamber thinking about, like, yo, when I go to New Orleans, I might tell everybody to stand down. I'm going to get these niggas fifty. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he might give David Griffin one of his, like, you know, between me and you hand gestures for every point he scores. If LeBron has that type of spite in him. LeBron rarely has shown it, but he does get spiteful from time to time. Like, that time he got into it with Chris Bosh's wife, that's one of the most hilarious exchanges (laughs) ever. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that was crazy.
0: So I think it makes for a great narrative for – when New Orleans and the Lakers play, it was always going to be a great narrative because here you got Anthony Davis playing against his former team. All the different players that got traded from the Lakers that are now Pelicans coming back to play. What type of energy are they going to have when, when those two interact? Like, that was always going to be a nice combustible situation to watch or play out. But now you've got LeBron versus your general manager. General manager can't get out there on the court and defend. The players got to deal with that. True. So I hope that with all that's happened and all that's come out, that David Griffin realizes that like it might be better not to give an interview about him anymore and just, you know, focus on what you're doing in New Orleans, because this is there's going to be retaliation. There's gonna be retribution for this. Do you think so?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I think he should have just never said nothing. Like, yo, you're in a situation that works best for you leave it alone like lebron he got you the championship you were there regardless of how strenuous or how you know intense it was man you want as a as a fan or even you want to be able to be in contention for the playoffs and and all the time yes those deals that lebron was signing those one one uh the two you know one year I'll play in the one year option those type of deals that he kept signing but the reality is, you want you want that. I mean, like I said, wait, you have you had a problem with those deals? No, what I'm saying is he did. He might have, as the GM, Griffin might have had a problem with those deals because some of these GMs, they're you know, if they're thinking of the method of, okay, we got LeBron for three years, I'm going to, I'm not going to every year try to press and get a formulate a new roster. You know, he's going to be kind of being chill more. But LeBron don't give you that chill more. LeBron gives you, no, I need to win right now. Matter of fact, we need to win like. Like immediately, so go get me the players that I need to get and make it happen. So it's like I'm getting paid what I'm gonna get paid, but I feel like I got to put a lot of work in to get this this check. Where there's a lot of GM sitting around, or where he's sitting around now in New Orleans, he's
0: he's chilling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because he can sell New Orleans on the whole. We've got a great three, four, five, year, six, seven, eight, nine year plan,
1: and that's the point. Where LeBron don't allow you
0: to do that. You got to work for your check. Where them cats is like, nah, I just
1: want to chill. I don't want to work for my check. And I think that's what it is now. He's in show mode
0: because he's but Also, good. there's more to it. David Griffin did get fired. Mm-hmm. He did get fired by the Cavaliers. And he got fired the year that they didn't beat Golden State that final run. He got fired, I think, in that offseason. And they had a different GM for that final that final year where they did those weird flips. I don't know if he was a part of the deals that got like – Jordan Clarkson and all those guys onto the team, Larry Nance uh-huh. Jr. I don't know if he was there, Who the one that was orchestrated, because he did wind up getting, you know, his contract not renewed or whatever the case may be, and LeBron was openly upset about it. Like, yo, uh-huh. Griff is the reason why we were able to get this ring. I'm going to miss him, so on and so forth. So he publicly spoke and advocated for David Griffin to be able to get a shot. But I think David Griffin learned a lot from that LeBron experience. And then he also learned a lot doing that corresponding work that he did on, you know, on those various television networks Mm -hmm. and being analytical. And like you said, I don't, I don't want to like categorize it as NBA GMs don't want to work, but I think NBA GMs are kind of like mad scientists. So a mad scientist, he comes up with whatever he comes up with to, you know the, the the greatest monster or whatever, but he knows that that recipe is gonna take time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he enjoys he enjoys opening the lab door, putting on his lab coat, putting on his glasses, opening up petri dish, looking to see what progress he's made, checking the flowers on the leaves and all those other. He's one of those type of GMs, and then you got mm-hmm. GMs like Daryl Morey, who, with no pressure really, other than what he puts on himself because he talks so crazy to go out and fill the roster that's going to give you an opportunity to win. So I think that's just a, 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 a reflection of the different attitudes of different GMs. Like, remember the guy in Philly who they fired, who now, if we look back, he actually turned out to be a damn genius. Mr. Trust the Process tanking,
1: that guy that they got rid of. Oh, say, was it Sam Hinkie? Yeah. Was it Hinkie or somebody else? He's
0: low-key a genius. Mm-hmm. Because if he doesn't go out and do that, Philadelphia never acquires the assets to have the roster that they have now. Mm. He racked Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. He, racked, um, he racked Embiid. He racked Nerland's Noel, who they wind up using to get assets. Yep. When, they, when they got him out of town and got him to Dallas. So, yeah, you can say what you want about the fact that they were tanking, and intentionally losing games, so on and so forth. He just happened to be smarter than everybody. Not even smarter. He just happened to be more daring than every other GM to say, like, yo, I know I can't go get a player to come here. So what's the best alternative? I'm going to lose my way into a really good player. And it worked. And it worked. But because it was given a name, you know, the process and so on and so forth, that's when I think the discontent came to a level where they had to bring somebody in who really didn't even have no business being there. They brought Rod Thorne in to clean that situation up.
1: Mm-hmm. Rod mm-hmm. Thorne
0: used to formally be, like, the head of discipline in the NBA. Like, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. And now you're going to make this guy a general manager? Yeah, you definitely... The random ties with the NBA interferes, there's always a a, a a story bigger than than what's being advertised taking place when situations like that happen. Like, all those random times that Jerry West has gotten involved in franchises for no reason. Like, Jerry West wound up having fingerprints on the Memphis Grizzlies, Mm -hmm. the Warriors, now the Clippers, Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. It's like, these certain guys get planted in certain places for certain things to happen. True. So, I mean, to summarize it, though, I think that NBA GMs, when it comes to speaking on former players, you should be very tactful of what you allow a reporter to be able to have available to say as a quote. Mm-hmm. Because it's, no matter how you try to explain yourself out that bag, you put yourself in the bag by saying what you say, because it's literally the wording. Absolutely. So David Griffin came out like almost immediately and was like, nah, the context of how the question was asked is why they got the answer you got. So now you're leaving it up to people who are reading these articles to guess what question the reporter asked that led you to believe that having LeBron James on your team was miserable. There's no there's no good question you could put in front of that to say, oh, okay, it makes sense that you said that. Exactly. Not one that fans are going to care to imagine on their own. Like, that's too much thinking. Yeah, exactly. But what they know for fact is you said it was miserable. Oh, you was miserable winning the championship. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, word of advice to GMs out there, especially if you were once the GM of a team of a really good player, and now you're not. Just, just be tactical and careful with what you say, because it really could come back to bite you and the new franchise that you're a part of. And I don't think most GMs want... To be the one night that LeBron James is motivated to do something outrageous. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not with all the motivation he's already racked up from from basically – well, he's not even rated one of the top five players in the league this year. Like, LeBron James has got a, a, a mountain of motivation this year. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, we have to see. Pelicans-Lakers is going to be a real interesting game. Oh, absolutely
1: absolutely
0: knowing the lakers if they if they're in a good position they might low manage that game especially if it's in new orleans mm-hmm. yeah you know Maybe. what let these young pups go ahead and run wild on our, on our on our guys from 4 to 12 on the roster but tonight we're going to rest ad we're going to rest lebron and we're mm. going to rest we're going to rest boogie so y'all can go out there and y'all can get your quote unquote revenge on javel KCP, Danny Green, Rondo, you know? Yeah, exactly. I can imagine the Lakers doing that because I'm pretty sure the Pelicans, because they're in the Western Conference, they probably have to pay them at least three times. And if you're oh, in a situation wow. where you're winning games, yeah, you'll, you'll take a game off like that just to reverse the spike. So we got, the late, we got one of the league's biggest draws, the biggest road draws we are, we're going to have because we're the Lakers. And we're going to New Orleans everybody's coming to that game to see us along with the guys that got traded for their roster. And we decide that we're going to show up in street
1: clothes? Uh, There's
0: precedent for for it. Shoot, Anthony Davis wore a That's All Folks shirt to his last game as a Pelican. So what if he's just being a man that's true to his word? Like, you know what? I'll never play basketball in New Orleans unless y'all in the playoffs. But y'all can come to LA and watch me play. This in this era of player empowerment, I don't I don't put nothing past these players when it comes to them cashing out on the opportunity to be spiteful.